I am recording this podcast as I sit in my office in my robe. This is 38 weeks pregnant. (laughs) The countdown is on. I am due any day now. And I just want to let you know that we'll be taking a hiatus because it's so important to prioritize health, mental health, peripartum health, and that is going to be my goal once this baby comes. We'll be on a four-week hiatus. All right, with that said, let's get into it. Welcome to the Lady Parts Doctor podcast. I'm Dr. Stephanie Hack, the Lady Parts Doctor, and I'm happy that you are joining me today because I love it when we chat, right? You love it when we chat and we always have great things to chat about. There's always something to chat about. And last week, we talked about perennial lacerations. These are tears in the perineum, a part of the vulva that happen during delivery, during vaginal delivery. And we talked a little bit about the complications related to those tears, how often those tears happen, things that you can do to care for them after. So if you missed that and you want to know more, go check it out. Otherwise, today we are continuing on a pregnancy postpartum topic. I mean, I'm 38 weeks pregnant. It's on my mind. And so I want to have these conversations with you and share this information with you while I'm thinking about it and while I'm kind of deep in it, so to speak. So about 12 weeks ago, I recorded a podcast reviewing a BuzzFeed article related to pregnancy and postpartum. And the article addressed things that the author discovered during and after her pregnancy that she felt no one had shared with her before. And it was titled... 18 things no one told me about having a baby that I had to figure out on my own. I love this kind of article. I do. As OBGYNs, we are so steeped in the routine provision of prenatal care. Like we are having the same conversations asking you, are you having any contractions? Are you having any leaking? Are you having any bleeding? Are you feeling the baby move? Because these things are very important and can indicate if there's really a problem. And our time is so limited. So we often only have like a few minutes, just a few minutes to address the most common concerns you may have while also monitoring your status, reviewing your vital signs and your concerns, and then monitoring the status of your baby, measuring your belly, listening to baby's heart rate. And if you're actively getting prenatal care, if you've had prenatal care in the past, you know what I'm talking about. So while I'm reviewing your vital signs, your height, your weight, your blood pressure, etc., measuring your belly and asking about any labor or concerning baby symptoms, I might not get a moment to highlight certain other things, certain things that would actually be important to you. Like I said, they're, if they're not indicative of a concern about you or your baby, I might not have a chance to get to them. So an article like this gives me the opportunity to comment on other things you might experience during pregnancy and give my two cents because I like to give my two cents. So let's go. There were 18 things. I think, I can't remember how long that podcast was, but I only covered five. And today we're going to cover five more of those things and call it a wrap. So number six on her list, because as I said, we got through the first five. Number six was when people find out you're pregnant, they may share horrible birth stories and tell you how hard your life will be going forward. (laughs) This is true. 
This is definitely true. People have a hard time not unloading their fears and hangups about all things, right? I remember when I was in residency, I was working at a clinic, part of the clinics that we had to cover. And I just happened to mention that my fiance at the time, who's now my husband, how he did not live in the same state as me, but we were going to get married in that state eventually. And one of the women who worked at the clinic was like, ha, don't know how that's going to work out. (laughs) It was so random and so unnecessary a comment to make, right? But it had absolutely nothing to do with me and everything to do with her. And the same thing happens when you tell people that you're pregnant. You just, you know, it's just what people say. Telling you things like, you know, you'll never sleep the same again, or that you'll never get your body back. These are the kinds of things that people jokingly share with you when they find out you're pregnant, except they're not really joking. And as much as I want to just like put this on other people, I'm guilty of this too. And I'm going to admit this. One of my very, very dear friends was pregnant with her first baby and I unloaded my pregnancy fears on her. OBGYNs, we see so many birth outcomes and the great ones are great and they're excellent and we're so happy to be involved. And the bad ones are very bad and very sad. Also, a physician at the time, I made sure to tell her my concerns about having a baby at 28 weeks and she was about 28 weeks at the time. And my hope that I wanted to always make it to 32 weeks. And sometimes shortly after saying that, I realized the error of my ways and I apologized. I was like, man, that is a really effed up thing to say to somebody who is in their pregnancy and who is already having whatever anxieties or fears or concerns they're having, in addition to just trying to grow a child and work and live their lives. And she graciously accepted my apology, but what's done was done. I had already said this. So from that moment on, I have always tried to make it a point to tell people how wonderful the experience will be. And it will be. It will be. And there are so many great moments in pregnancy, childbirth, and parenthood. Either you know what I'm talking about, or maybe you will one day, or maybe you've seen it for somebody else. But when talking to people about their pregnancy journeys, let's try to focus on those awesome moments, okay? Like we don't really need to add to anything else that they're experiencing. Let's focus on the awesome positive parts. Number seven on her list, the way they determine the due date makes no sense. Okay, so here the author is referring to Nigel's rule. Franz Nigel, who was living from 1778 to 1851, was a German obstetrician who proposed that a pregnancy is 40 weeks. His rule adds nine months and seven days to the first day of your last menstrual period, which from here on out, I'm just going to refer to as your LMP because that's what we call it, to give you your ultimate due date. For example, if the first day of your last menstrual period, so if your LMP was January 1st, your due date would be October 8th of the same year. So nine months after January is October, and then the 8th comes seven days after the 1st. Does that make sense? I hope you're following with me. What often confuses people with a calculation is when it starts. People want to start with the day of conception. However, the day the egg starts getting ready to become a baby, which is basically the first day of your last menstrual period, 
that is when the process actually starts because those first two weeks or however long your cycle is before you ovulate, your body is actually preparing the egg that will ultimately ovulate and become fertilized. So we're starting with the day that egg starts getting ready, the day it starts getting prepped by the ovaries to become the prom queen (laughs) that's going to get fertilized and go on to have a baby. Now, if you're seeing your OBGYN for your pregnancy confirmation, you may see them pull out a paper wheel or card board wheel out of their pocket. And this is called a pregnancy wheel. And it can help us determine several things. From knowing your LMP, we can determine your due date, how far along you'll be at any given time. In addition, we can determine the date that you enter each trimester. And I'm sure you're wondering, isn't there an app for that? And yes, Yes, there is. There are several apps, and that's actually what I use to determine my patient's due dates, and I've been using it my whole pregnancy anytime I wanted to know how far along I would be at any given point uh, so I could figure it out for myself. Now, does this rule apply to everybody? Probably not. We're individuals. Everybody's cycle length is different, and it's probably just used best as a guideline, but it is just the guideline that we use. And as I mentioned before, the first two weeks that the egg is getting ready to be ovulated are factored into the equation, but not everybody ovulates on day 14 of their cycle. Some people's eggs take less time to get ready. Some people's eggs take more time to get ready. So if you ovulate on day seven, or if you ovulate on day 21, that's gonna push your due date forward or back one week respectively, right? But we don't do that. This is just me telling you that in theory, we still basically go off of this 40 weeks gestation based on the first day of your last menstrual period, okay? Number eight, you can't have sex or exercise for six weeks after giving birth. Well, there is no required waiting period, okay? There's no research that specifically says you have to do this, but this waiting four to six weeks is the general recommendation. And there are several reasons. First, although birth is a beautiful experience, it is also traumatic. In addition to providing support to your pelvic organs, your pelvic floor muscles have just supported, and in the case of a vaginal delivery, facilitated the delivery of your brand new baby. They need rest, right? Anytime you're working out muscles, and these muscles have been worked out continuously, there needs to be some rest. And your pelvic floor muscles need rest too. If you've had any perennial or vulvar tears, they need time to heal before engaging in any type of sexual activity, and that's vaginal or oral or anal also, depending on what your tear may be. And fortunately, the tissue heals really quickly. It does. However, you will need to give the full amount of time for the sutures or stitches to dissolve and the tissue to come back together so you can actually heal and get to a closer um, reapproximation of what you were before having the baby, before having the tear. In addition, you may have a little bit of pain just like you would with any other wound and you want that to feel better before you have sex again right? Ideally. And the truth is you may not be interested in sex for a little while, honestly. Like usually when I'm having the conversation with patients on rounds, so after they've had their babies and we're seeing them in the morning just to check in and see how they're feeling and I bring up birth control, everyone's like, oh no, 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 no. Oh no, 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 no. Um, I am, I am not having sex anytime soon. And you know, I say, okay, well, you know, this is when you want to start using contraception and you want to wait at least this long. And I usually try to have that conversation when both the patient and their partner are present. But the truth is you say that, right? But you know, maybe 
three weeks, four weeks pass by, maybe your baby's sleeping through the night a little bit more and you're looking at your partner and feeling some kind of way and you're making some decisions. (laughs) It's different for everybody, but newborns are exhausting and they can make it very hard to focus on anything else. So you might not want to have sex. That's the point, right? I I went off on a tangent. In addition, your hormones will affect your emotions and your body. If you're nursing, you may experience increased vaginal dryness that can make sex more uncomfortable. And it may take a little more time for you to just adjust to your new body and determine what feels good and what doesn't. So the point that I want to leave you with is take your time. There is no rush. Take your time. Nine, When it comes down to it, your birth plan doesn't matter. Now, this is not 100% the case. While I can't speak for every provider, we do our best to honor your birth plan within reason. And fortunately, many things that you may want to request are already standard practice. For example, patients often include delayed cord clamping in their birth plans. Instead of cutting the umbilical cord immediately after the baby is delivered, we wait at least 30 to 60 seconds to do so. And we do this regardless of whether it's a vaginal or a cesarean section. If I'm doing a C-section, then I'm gonna pause with the baby on the drapes, the baby's crying, and I'm waiting for the pediatrician who is also in the operating room to say, okay, now clamp the cord, give us the baby. And that's gonna be 30 to 60 seconds. Research has shown that this is beneficial for both term and preterm infants. In term infants, it increases hemoglobin levels and thus oxygen stores in the baby. And in preterm infants, it improves circulation and helps lower the risk of certain preterm complications. However, However, if a baby is born and is not breathing, we may cut the cord immediately so the neonatal resuscitation can be performed or if the mom isn't doing well. So again, we try to honor as many of your requests as possible. And we understand that this is a very special experience for you. And we want it to be one that you remember fondly. We don't want you to be like, oh, I had this birth plan and the doctor didn't listen to anything. So, you know, this was a negative experience in my mind. We want you to have a positive experience. It's the birth of your child. It's something that you won't forget. 10, no matter how equally you try to disperse parenting duties, if you're a breastfeeding mother or a parent, things will inevitably fall more on you. That's 100% true. I mean, I'm telling you this, this is like personal experience. That's 100% true. Unless your partner is able to just pop a lactating breast into the mouth of your baby, you will be managing a lot of the early parenting duties in that regard. And the reason is newborns eat all the time. They like eat all the time. They have little tiny stomachs that fill and then empty quickly. I don't, it's like you don't even understand it, but that's just how they are. And in my blog about, or excuse me, my podcast, podcast about breastfeeding, we spent a lot of time addressing this. You will be nursing often, and I'm going to come back to that. With my first child, I often woke my husband up to participate in the nightly ritual of nursing, changing diapers, burping, re-swaddling, and putting the baby back to bed. And you know, it's funny, I think of him like half awake doing these things. With my second child, I adopted the, "Mm, I'm already up, so I might as well do it and let him get some sleep mentality. And it was nice for him. It's really nice. And I think he remembers that postpartum time a little more fondly than I do because I was exhausted. I was exhausted. And it took me a long time to recover. And I'm not sure if I ever really did, which leads me to the next observation. Number 11, having your partner change diapers and get baby 
in and out of bed will make nights feel way more doable. Yes, yes, yes. Having a partner that understands the work and is willing and able to share the load is amazing. And that's, you know, not just in this regard, with all things, especially with child rearing and raising kids, like that is the truth. I recommend having this discussion before the baby comes. So there is no surprise when you nudge them in the middle of the night. Better yet, better yet. So they are also tuned into baby's cries at night and reflexively wake up to change the diaper and hand you the baby. Because otherwise you're gonna be the only one tuned into the crying and you will be the one that wakes up. Newborns are not a spectator sport. A patient once told me that their partner did not change diapers for at least the first six weeks after the baby was born. And I am not one to judge the roles that we establish within our relationships, but that would not work for me. That just wouldn't work for me. If you're trying to do everything yourself and you have someone that could help you, you are going to tire yourself out unnecessarily. If you're doing this alone without even the help of a friend or relative, You got this. It gets easier and there is a light at the end of the tunnel. There is. And that is where I'm going to stop addressing the items in the article and add just a couple of my own. My number 12, you may have swelling and it will likely get worse before it gets better. Pregnancy swelling usually starts toward the end of the third trimester and you may notice that things like rings stop fitting in the morning at first and they only fit in the afternoon and eventually they'll just stop fitting all together after a few weeks. I recommend getting a thick necklace chain or if you have a thick necklace and you can wear them wear your rings on your chest if it's still important to you to wear them Um, you may not also notice swelling as you watch your feet transform into (laughs) what i call puff pastries they look like puff pastries or your toes begin to look like little sausages and your feet don't fit into your shoes anymore i am currently observing the slow disappearance of my ankles and wondering when my own baby is going to come I keep telling myself, I'm like, any day now, maybe tomorrow, hopefully tomorrow. (laughs) This swelling will continue until the baby is born and it will likely get worse before it gets better. And once you have the baby, all of the fluid that you've accumulated in your body is going to shift and that's going to result in more swelling all around. Give it some time, at least two weeks. You will eventually offload the fluid, likely through urination. So likely you'll just going to pee it out over time. Now with that said, some swelling is concerning. If you notice swelling on one body part, but not the other side. So for example, if I noticed that my left calf and like foot were swollen, but my right wasn't, then that's concerning for potentially something like a blood clot. If you're having swelling along with headaches, vision changes, nausea, vomiting, abdominal pain, that could be a sign of preeclampsia. So make sure to discuss your swelling with your OBGYN or midwife before just assuming, oh, this is typical swelling of pregnancy because it might not be. And it's more important that we rule out the concerning swelling before we just kind of write it off and say, oh, this is what we expected. Number 13, nursing is a full-time job. So I hinted at this before, and I actually didn't really hint at it, I outright said it. If you're planning to breastfeed or chest feed, know that you will be doing it all the time in the beginning, all the time. As you and your baby develop a flow, you get used to one another. And as we discussed before, tiny stomachs empty frequently and they need to be filled frequently. And this was a shock 
for me with my first child. I just, I couldn't understand how he could cry so quickly after I put him down. Like, didn't I just feed you little baby? Didn't I just feed you? My nipples are raw. Why do you need to eat again? Why are you crying? With my second, I was prepared and I would just find a spot to be comfortable, usually my bed, and nurse while I listened to music or stream something, just stream something on my laptop or my iPad. And I am mentally preparing for this with my third. While it won't be so easy during the evening or on the weekends when all my children are together, it will make nonstop nursing sessions during the weekdays much easier. So the best thing that I can say to you is just be prepared if you're nursing to just nurse kind of nonstop in the beginning. And it really is a beautiful experience as you get used to it, like I said, and and learn one another. 14. You'll probably need physical therapy during and after pregnancy. And if you've been following along with the podcast, we had a podcast two weeks ago where we talked about many of the indications for physical therapy. Growing and carrying another person in your body changes it in so many ways. It just does. You put on weight, your center of gravity changes, your muscles fatigue. You may even begin to notice changes during pregnancy, such as pains you didn't have before, sciatica, pubic symphysis, um, pubic bone pain. Many symptoms you may experience like incontinence, muscle tightness, or soreness, painful sex. These could all be improved with physical therapy, and that's going to be the same during pregnancy and postpartum. Make sure to discuss that with your OBGYN midwife or other healthcare provider for their advice because that will likely include a referral. And that's it. That's like all of the things that I have. There are so many more things to talk about and I'm sure you probably have some things that either you've experienced or maybe some things that you've heard that you want to talk about. So certainly if you do, send me an email. Remember, you can always reach out to me. I love to hear your stories, questions, or any ideas. You can reach me at Dr. Hack, D-R-H-A-C-K, at ladypartsdoctor.com. And before you go, make sure to subscribe to the blog, the podcast, which is pretty much wherever you listen to podcasts, the YouTube channel, Instagram. I am at ladypartsdoc, D-O-C on Instagram and TikTok, and also I'm on Twitter. Uh, So subscribe to everything. Let me know if you have any questions, stories, or ideas, like I said. And if you enjoy the podcast, please make sure to leave a positive review on Apple Podcasts. And if you don't love it, let me know. Dr. Hack at ladypartsdoctor.com. Tell me how it could be better. All right. If you're interested in booking me for presentations, conferences, or other events, you can also contact me through the website. And then finally, I just want to tease something that I've been working on. I've been working on a book. I know. Like that's, that's very exciting and something that I've always wanted to do, but I've been working on a book and I hope to be able to release it Hmm, probably summer of 2023, but that is just something in the works. So until next time.